0: Welcome to the Beeson Podcast, coming to you from Beeson Divinity School on the campus of Samford University in Birmingham, Alabama. Now, your host, Timothy George. Welcome to today's Beeson Podcast. Today, I have the privilege of introducing to you a lecture by Dr. Terrell Bird. He is professor of urban Christian ministry at Palm Beach Atlantic University in Florida. And he came to Beeson to lecture in a series we did a couple of years ago on the Barman Declaration. In 1934, a group of very courageous Christian leaders in Germany came together in the little town of Barman. And there they issued what was called the Theological Declaration of Barman, which was really a a statement about their own deep-rooted Christian conviction in the light of what was happening all around them. Hitler had been in power as Chancellor of Germany for one year. Things were beginning to unravel in society, virulent anti-Semitism that would lead, of course, to the Holocaust. Well, they didn't deal explicitly with all these issues, but they sort of drew a line in the sand and said, "'We will follow Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life.'" And we commit ourselves to him, and we will serve no other God but the Lord. Well, that statement, the Barman Declaration, of course, has become one of the classic documents of church history in the modern period. And we gave a whole semester to thinking about it and how it applies to our life today. And this is where Dr. Terrell Byrd came in, because he came to talk to us about what has Harlem to do with Barman, And he's speaking particularly about the experience of the African-American church and the influence it had on Dietrich Bonhoeffer when he himself was a student in, in Harlem in New York. And then drawing some implications about the situation that was developing in Germany and the question of virulent and violent racism in our own country. I think it's a fascinating talk. Uh, Dr. Terrell Byrd is an experienced pastor, and he speaks out of the idiom of the African-American tradition, uh, but he also brings the learning and the the tremendous astuteness of a scholar who's looked very closely at this issue. Uh, He's not only a professor at Palm Beach Atlantic University, uh, he's also a well-known author. Uh, His first full-length book, I Shall Not Be Moved, was an international bestseller, And his second book, By This Shall We Be Known, Interpreting the Voice and Message of Dr. King, is a study in the life and the thought of Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. Well, I think you're in for a treat as we listen to our friend Dr. Terrell Bird as he speaks here at Beeson Divinity School on the subject, What Has Harlem to Do with Barman?
1: May the words of my mouth, meditations of my heart, Be acceptable in the Lord's sight, for He is my strength, my rock, and my redeemer. And the church said, Amen. "Amen." What a joy it is for me to be in this place at this time. I am Uh, Deeply moved and uh, just grateful to be asked to be able to stand behind this sacred desk. Well, I'm on assignment. Is that right? I'm on assignment. And uh, I want to say that the Lord has deposited in my spirit from the text that was read to us The wonderful prophetic word of Isaiah, the spirit of the Lord, God is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound to proclaim liberty, or proclaim rather the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. What hath Barman to do with Harlem and the problem of racism? On the surface, Barman and Harlem are as distant as night and day. They are as extreme as cold is from hot on the surface. On the surface, uh, one might call the comparison an oxymoronic link, combining seemingly contradictory, unrelated themes on the surface. Harlem, the Mecca of African. American culture and life. A barman, a a small city in Western Germany. The 20th century writers of the Harlem Renaissance, bitter and cynical as some were, were more intent on confronting American racism than embracing the doctrine of the socialists and communists. Theirs was a poetic protest. Theirs was a protest in poetic prose. So too, in May of 1934, those representatives from the 18 German provincial churches met in the city of Barman. Not only as a protest, but a profession and confession of their faith. They saw the idolatry of German Christians who gave allegiance to an unjust racist state rather than to God. The Confessing Church is known for its prophetic voice and his faith declaration. Harlem gave us concert halls filled with jazz and blues, where songs of sorrow told of trial, tribulation, struggles, so that all people could hear and understand. The confessing church proclaimed the word of conviction for a confused and, yes, a mesmerized nation that all people could understand, solo Christo, Christ alone. Protestant Christian leaders gathered to set the course of resistance to Nazi and fascism, Barth and Bonhopper and Nimola forever linked together with the Barman Declaration and the Confessing Church. But what is this link? What is this strange bond between Barman and Harlem? What has one to do with the other? Could it be the, the Harlem Renaissance? After all, it gave us the poet Langston Hughes, who asked the question what happens to a dream deferred? Perhaps the poet songwriter James Weldon Johnson, who left Florida to come to Harlem, he wrote the poem Creation. And there the great God Almighty, who lit the sun and fixed it in the sky, who flung the stars to the most corner of the night, who rounded the earth in the middle of his hand, this great God, like a mammy bending over her baby, kneeled down in the dust, toiling over a lump of clay. Still he shaped in his own image. Then into it he blew the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Amen, amen, said Johnson. I am reminded of the words of Weldon Johnson, who wrote the famous Negro National Hymn. Lift every voice and sing. God of our weary years, God of our silent tears, thou who has brought us this far on our way, thou who has by thy might led us into the light, keep us forever in the path, we pray. What bond is there between Barman and Harlem? Or perhaps it's the bond that's between the social historian W.E.B. Du Bois. Du Bois left Atlanta, Georgia, and took up residence in Harlem. No, uh, he took up residence in Harlem. One stated... No one rather stated the dilemma that slavery and segregation created for African Americans more poignantly and sharper than W.E.B. Du Bois. In fact, he spoke of it as a peculiar sensation, a double consciousness, two souls, two thoughts, Two unreconciled strivings, two warring ideas in one dark body whose dogged strength alone keeps it from being torn asunder. Is this the link between Barman and Harlem? During World War I, with the migration of large numbers of blacks from southern states, and with greater opportunities for work. You remember, there was, uh, there was a young man who left with his family. His name was James Cleveland Owens. And he left and he came to Cleveland, Ohio. And in public school, the teacher, she mistakenly heard his name. His name was James Cleveland Owens, but he was known as J.C., and she mistakenly thought his name was Jesse. Somehow, this Jesse ended up in Berlin in 1936 and brought back home to America four gold medals and disgraced Hitler and his errant concept of superiority. You do remember the story. They had a tick-or-take parade for him just outside of Harlem in New York. What had Harlem and Barman to do with each other? Listen, Harlem represents a bipolar relationship of the problem of race in America. You listen, Harlem was so loved in its renaissance of music and literature and art, and yet so steeped in the pre-civil rights era of Jim and Jane, Jane Crowism. But what has Harlem Barman? and the Confessing Church to do with Harlem, I'm glad you asked. Dietrich Bonhoeffer brings a unique perspective of Harlem, which would be a precursor to the Barman Declaration. I know someone is is asking, what's a a white German formal Lutheran preacher doing hanging around Harlem? (laughs) Not only that, what is this formal Lutheran preacher hanging around such an emotive expressive spirit filled black church are you listening to me Harlem the capital of the 20th century black world Harlem I couldn't help but think we need to consult the prophet Isaiah on this matter For the prophet brings clarity to purpose. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. In Ramnusen's work, Dietrich Bonhoeffer and his significant to North America, he states that Bonhoeffer trekked to what were for him the margins in order to see the center from the edges. And if need be to relocate his viewpoint, watch this now, watch this, having no experience at all with African American culture, He became friends with a fellow student at Union Seminary, Frank Fisher. And through him, he engulfed Harlem's black church culture, particularly Harlem's famed Abyssinian Baptist Church. He lived amongst people who lived on the edges. Oh, yes, they, they lived in the margins of society. They lived on the edges. And I want you to know this morning that there's something about living on the edges that make us less fearful about falling off the cliff. <laughs> Jenkins and McBride in their edited work, Bonhoeffer and King, says that the friendship with Frank Fisher informed him of the harsh realities of African-American life in pre-civil rights America. And, uh, in fact, he said that when his friend would not be seated at a Manhattan restaurant, they staged, Bonhoeffer and Frank Fisher, they staged a two-man protest and left the restaurant in outrage. They were edge living His interest in African-American culture led Bonhoeffer to drive through the Deep South on a tour observing the rural poverty during one of the most grave periods of mob lynching and Jim Crowism. There's just something about living on the edges that makes us less fearful about falling off the cliff. Uh, Howard Thurman calls fear one of those hounds of hell that dogged the footsteps of the disinherited. Thurman said, it's, it's the climate closing in. It's like fog in San Francisco or in London. It's nowhere yet, everywhere. Bonhoeffer's student, Lehman, said Bonhoeffer's habit was to focus on what was the most remote from his previous experience to understand it on indigenous terms as far as possible and then let it adjust his own horizons. He was learning edge living. If you permit me to import a little eisegesis in order to give a little exegesis, allow me to take my home-sanctified imagination. I'm just imagining that maybe one Sunday morning, while attending Abyssinian Baptist Church, Bonhoeffer might have heard somebody saying that old Negro spiritual. Sooner will be done with the trouble of the world. The troubles of the world. I'm going home to live with Jesus. Or maybe, maybe just in the midst of the amens the hallelujahs and the thank you, Jesus. He heard somebody saying, I want Jesus to walk with me, with me all along my pilgrim journey. I, I want Jesus to walk with me. I'm just using my sanctified imagination. Perhaps as Bonhoeffer uh, walked the streets of Berlin, he remembered back to hearing Adam Plain Powell Sr. preaching uh, and how he used that African-American hermeneutic homiletic style. And uh, perhaps Bonhoeffer recalled back and began to quote in his mind, Uh, He could say, I began to see Jesus, who wandered the streets of Harlem, standing with the poor and distressed, as a friend and counselor. Day and night, I heard the voice of the Savior saying, I was naked, and you clothed me. I was hungry, and you fed me. I'm just using my imagination. Is that okay? Uh, but my imagination tells me that Bonhoeffer began to identify with the oppressed. And that by 1933, Bonhoeffer declared that the church must stand on behalf of the Jews. What? had Barmen and the Confessing Church to do with Harlem, each in their own way, represented an unquenchable thirst for freedom, freedom from fear, oppression, and injustice. My brothers and sisters, race and religion are woven so deeply in the fabric of American life that they sometimes make telling, but strange, bedfellows. They reign as America's controversies. The Barman Declaration is a reminder to the Christian church that it is better to obey God than man. And so Isaiah, we are prophet Isaiah. Isaiah, this passage speaks to freedom and justice, a message of liberation and hope. Like the prophet, the framers of the Barman Declaration understood first and foremost the source of their message. I want you to stay with me now. They understood the source of their message. The prophet said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. In other words, it's not my message. It's the Lord's message. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. And I can't help but believe that the early African-American Christians knew the source of their message as well. They may not have defined it systematically. They may not have uh, theologically put it so pristine but they simply said in the words of the old negro spiritual over my head i hear music in the air there must be a god somewhere they knew the source of their message and so like the prophet they were called to bring good news to those who had been victims of both material and spiritual distress. And so in this passage, listen, the poor or afflicted are paired with the brokenhearted. But also notice the captives are those who need to be released from spiritual bondage. The prophet says, Proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of prisons to those who are bound. This is a message not only for the oppressed, but for the oppressors as well. Are you listening to me? The prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah 23 picks up on this same theme. Uh, Jeremiah said concerning the ungodly spiritual leaders of his day, I did not send the prophets, yet they ran. I did not speak to them, yet they prophesied. But if they had stood in my council, then they would have proclaimed my words to my people, and they would have turned from their evil way and from the evil of their deeds. The late Samuel DeWitt Proctor reminds us that those who serve congregations of persons victimized by racism, chronic economic depression, social ostracism, and stubborn stereotypes, they face a task hardly known to other preachers. They will find a hunger for identity, a thirst for freedom, a zeal for liberation that cannot be quenched. And so my dear brothers, And my dear sisters, it's fitting for me to be in Birmingham for these Barman lectures. For Martin Luther King Jr. epitomized both the problems, the perils, and the possibilities that existed in the theological declaration of Barman the social and economic injustices faced by African-Americans. Not unlike Bonhoeffer, Martin Luther King's unusual idealism was met by a harsh realism of human suffering all across America. And embodied in this determination of his idealism was the certainty that all things, no matter how hard or socially entrenched, will someday change. But he said once, he said, the oppressor must never allow the conscience of the oppressor to slumber. To accept injustice or segregation passively is to say to the oppressor that his actions are morally right. He understood that this kind of oppression emanated out of the darkened spirits and the darkened hearts of men and women. So anyone who would claim superiority over someone else has a dark heart. I recall the reason the king came to Birmingham back in the 60s. He gave his rationale. He said, I'm in Birmingham because injustice is here. Just as the prophets of the 8th century B.C. left their villages and carried their, thus saith the lords, far beyond the boundaries of their homes, just as the apostle Paul left his village of Tarshish and carried the gospel of Jesus to the far corners of the Greco-Roman world, king said, so I'm compelled to carry the gospel of freedom far beyond my hometown. And so like Paul, I must constantly respond to the Macedonian call. It was that Macedonian call for aid that pulled Bonhoeffer back to Berlin. And I agree with N.T. Wright who said that God's passion for justice must become our passion for justice. That is the work. We pray for peace but we work for justice. Justice. And I just want you to know this morning that, that it is a work. I said it is a work. Paul reminded the Thessalonica church when he gave them his unmixed praise. He says, I remember your work of faith. There is work which is inspired by faith, but nothing tells us more about a woman or a man than by the way they work. It was the work of Barth, Bonhoeffer, and Niemoler, the members of the Confessing Church, that defined them. It was the work of Martin Luther King Jr. in the civil rights movement that defined him. It was the work of Mahatma Gandhi in India that defined him. It was the work of Mother Teresa in Calcutta that defined her. It was the work of Nelson Mandela in South Africa that defined him. James said, "Faith with." Without works is dead. It's the kind of work that you have to keep going when others give up. Keep working when others are sitting down. Keep building up when others are tearing down. Keep believing when others are doubting, and by all means, keep loving when others are hating them. St. Augustine reminds us, so anyone who thinks that he has understood the divine scriptures or any part of them but cannot by his understanding build up this double love of God and neighbor has not yet succeeded in understanding them. Bonhoeffer wrote in his famous essay, costly grace, costly grace is the gospel which must be sought again and again, the gift that which must be asked for, the door at which the person must knock, such grace is costly. Because it calls us to follow. And it's grace because it causes us to follow Jesus. And I would say to you this morning at this great divinity school, don't get weary in well-doing. Keep doing the good work of the gospel of Jesus Christ so that if anybody asks you, if you don't know, Now you know what barman had to do with Harlem. God bless you and God keep you.
0: You've been listening to the Beeson Podcast with host Timothy George. You can subscribe to the Beeson Podcast at our website, Beesondivinity.com.